0: this is the adoptive mom podcast adoption may look different for each family but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap and that is what we do here we encourage we build up we share the wins and losses we lean on each other and we get through this together thanks for joining us Adoptive Mom Podcast, where we are in a season full of stories from adoption influencers of all types, sharing their families and lessons learned and joyful milestones with us all over the interwebs. You're listening to season eight, episode 113. I am Alex Bitten, your host. And in case no one told you today, you are loved and you are doing an amazing job, even on your worst days. You are covered by grace and lots and lots of love from the adoptive mom community. Today, We're getting to talk to Rebecca Ashby, one of my favorite new friends from this season, because she is just so dang nice and such a fun and educational and positive and insightful and all the other amazing adjectives to follow on Instagram. Plus, a little insider info, this was actually the first episode I recorded for this season, and it was just such a wonderful way to start off my recording period, you guys. Uh, I could just go on and on about what a Rebecca Ashby fangirl I am, but I'd much rather you just listen and become one yourself. Before we jump in, though, so I want to remind you guys to join in on all of the amazing stuff going on in the adoptive mom community on Facebook. It's a private group full of mamas connected by adoption. I pride myself in keeping a tight rein on any negativity or rude behavior in there, and I have a team of amazing admins ready to defend you guys as well. It's truly a support group, not an educational or ethics group. There are tons of those out there, and they serve an amazing purpose. But as mamas, doing the best we can to stand in the gap for our kids, kids and other kids like them. We deserve a safe place to connect, get support, ask questions, all of that without judgment and shame. And I really do my very best to provide that in the adoptive mom community. So we would love to have you join us. You can either search for the adoptive mom podcast community on Facebook or head to the adoptive mom com slash community for an easy link. Okay, let's go make fast friends with our girl, Rebecca Ashby. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast and a special welcome to my guest today, Rebecca Ashby. I'm so excited to be talking to you. You are such a joy to follow on Instagram and just, I can't wait
1: to get to know your story. So welcome to the show. How's it going? Good. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to talk about our journey and where we've been and where we're going and um, just all the fun details.
0: Yes. And I know that, I mean, it's really cool to be able to talk to people who have a, have a platform and are able to share, um, their adoption journey. And most importantly, inspire other people to like jump into this really cool community that I feel like is becoming more and more well-known. Um, and I just, I just love getting to talk to people who are doing it really well. So, um, with that being said, do you mind just taking a second and
1: introducing yourself and your family? Yeah, sure. So I am, like you said, Rebecca Ashby, um, my husband, Christopher, And our son, Parker, we live um, um, on the coast in Connecticut. And we've only been here for coming up on four years. We lived right outside the city before that. We lived upstate New York. So we've been able to um, really travel um, and live in some really fun spots. Um, And as Parker's growing up, he's getting to experience um, different things as well. And through that journey of shifting around and moving around, Um, About two and a half years ago, uh, well, Parker just turned 10, So, um, but two and a half years ago, um, I decided to retire um, a stationary business that I owned um, to really focus on working to raise money for adoptive families. Um, My friend Becky has an amazing not-for-profit out of New York City, and she gives grants to adoptive families in waiting. And so I just felt like after working in a luxury sort of, um, Just one of those sort of extracurricular, I've got extra money to spend phases of my life that I really wanted to serve and serve God and serve people going through this phase of um, life, which is a super challenging um, financial hardship. Honestly, adoption is expensive. And having gone through that myself, I just wanted to switch gears and focus my time and energy on raising money for others. So that's what I do. That's where my focus is, um, and it's been a really beautiful journey. And um, it's just been a lot of fun. It's it's interesting when you sort of shift from um, designing stationary and sort of fun things that aren't necessarily a necessity. Yeah. To, focusing on something that is such a necessity for some people. Um, and having met people in my journey that will not even consider adoption because they're so scared of the, um, the cost honestly Mm -hmm. just breaks my heart. And so I'm like, no, 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 you, you have no idea. There are ways like I want to help you. Um, so that's where I've been for two and a half years. Um, And I've met some amazing people along the way, um, and I've been able to do some different fundraising. And part of my journey now is to create – I'm in uh, Lower Fairfield County in Connecticut, and I just have not found, like, a really good support group. So that's one of my missions as well, is to create a space – for um, people in waiting, people that have been through the adoption process and maybe have disconnected from the birth parents um, are just struggling through the process. Really anything just to have this adoption community come together and it it might start small, you know, Zoom calls for now until we all can kind of get in a space together. But I just want to create a place where we can, meet monthly or bi-monthly and just talk about stuff because it's just, you know, Parker's 10 now and it's really interesting, some stuff that we're running into right now. And I'm, I'm sure we'll, we can talk about it. Um, and I just still have the ability to reach out to his, to our caseworker, which is great to uh-huh. get some advice um, because unless you're, you've gone through it or, or are in the, the, you know, the trenches, I guess. Um, it's really awesome to have a network of people. I love that. And I mean,
0: I have like so many questions, but I can't (laughs) wait. Um, but I do, I just want to hear like your whole story first. And then I am like, I can't wait to jump into some of the nitty gritty. So yeah. Do you mind just taking us back to the beginning?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, my goodness, my husband and I were married. I kind of have to do it like this to give a time sure. in, head. in the beginning, <laughs> I married in 2006. And we bought our house in 2007. And at that point I was like, okay, let's have a baby. And he avoided me like the plague, because even though you say like, let's have sex and make a baby, you're like, oh, wow, this is really happening. And then right. like, Six eight months in, he's like, okay, wait, what? What is happening? Like, we're doing the right things. Why? Why is there no baby? I'm like, hmm I don't really know. And so we waited a little bit longer. And I was, I mean, I was like, a, a, you know, 32 something like that, 32, 33. I didn't feel old, but I, I think that's kind of old sometimes when you're trying to conceive. And so I reached out to my gynecologist and long story short, we found some stuff. And so we, um, went through, um, a lot of money, a lot of fertility treatments. We did four IUIs, one IVF, and I had laparoscopic surgery and, um, all of the things just pretty much gave us um, less than a two percent chance to conceive, and it's really interesting because I'll never forget. And this part makes me kind of emotional. Um, when uh, I'll never forget, like when when I got my blood work back from my gynecologist, and I was so upset, and I talked to my mom all the time. She's like one of my best friends, and she's like, "You can just adopt," and I was. At the time I was like, but wait, I I don't want to just adopt. Like I want to do as a woman, I want my body to do what it's supposed to do. And so now that I think about that statement that she made, it it is so different and it's so much more powerful than what it meant back then when I was like living in the moment of hearing, you know, something that you don't want to hear from your doctor. And so interestingly, um, my husband was ready to move on before I was. Um, he, he was fine. All his testing came back fine. And I just, as a woman whose body's supposed to function, who's supposed to carry a baby, no, 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 no. And so finally, I really looked deep inside and I'm like, this isn't about being pregnant anymore. I want to be a mom and my husband wants to be a dad. Like the end of story. I don't, I don't need to wear cute maternity clothes. I don't, I don't need to have maternity pictures like that. I want to be a parent. I want to be a mom. And so, um, we, we stopped all the fertility treatments in March of 2008, it was 2008 And we grieved. It's definitely a grieving process. Like knowing what you think your life is supposed to look like um, or what you think life is supposed to look like and shift into something that is very uncharted waters. Nobody on my side of the family is adopted and my husband's stepfather adopted him. So adopted, you know, a name, but not the adoption process that we went through. And so it was very interesting to go through this process, not knowing anybody that had been through it and treading these waters that were so murky at times and so up and down emotionally, financially, all the things. But once we, once we got to that point, we were like, Um, okay. Like, let's go. Like now it was exciting. Now we, we had a light at the end of the tunnel. Now we knew that there was going to be a baby that our baby was going to find us. And I'll never forget the deacon at our church saying, Rebecca, you are pregnant. You're just pregnant for longer than nine months. Like it's, you have to think about it like that. You're just, your timeline is a little bit longer. Yeah. we were pretty aggressive. Um, we went, um, that was June and we went to, um, friends and adoption is the agency that we used in Vermont. We decided to go through an agency because it just felt a little more secure for us. Um, and and having the professionals there to guide us through every step of the way to really take their time and take a lot of care with birth parents as they were calling in, Um, in just talking about what the next steps were, you know? Um, so we we went for a weekend. Um, it was called a Getting Acquainted Program, where we were able to really talk to the social worker and the caseworker and really go through the whole process of what we were about to venture into. And we just got this feeling of um, this is it. Like we feel so good about this, and we had interviewed a couple other agencies on the phone, but actually going there and meeting with people, and there was no discrimination um, for anything—race, religion, orientation, finances, nothing—and it just, it just felt right. So we signed on with them, and we were active by October. So wow. It was really fast. It was, I mean, we like, I felt like I was back in college pulling all-nighters. We were pulling all-nighters, putting our profile book together and just doing all the homework and doing all the things. And I guess the squeaky wheel gets the um, oil because. (laughs) Well, you were nesting, like that was nesting. 100%. Yeah. and we, here's the thing. And I think this is where really strong faith comes in as well, mm-hmm. because we were advised to not set up a nursery. Um, we were, we were advised to just have the essentials for having a baby. And Christopher and I were like, nope, we're setting up a nursery. We, and it wasn't because yes, I'm totally type A, like need to have things ready, but sure. it wasn't about that for us. It was about let the more that we could, put this vision out there and have a room. Um, I am all about putting energy out into the air. And if we could have the crib ready and clothes folded and, you know, stuffed animals and gifts, quotes, you name it, it was there. And every day walking by that nursery, to me, we were one step closer to meeting our baby. Yeah, And so we waited a year and we had to have our home study redone. And that was definitely, oh my God, more money. And it's been a year. And so at that point we met with our social worker and we, we adjusted some of the criteria on our home study and what we would be open to. And then six months later, so 18 months in, um, we got a call, I could still remember my exact position in the kitchen, we were actually fixing tile, we had had a leak from snowfall on the roof, and it had leaked like through our roof down our kitchen wall, and we were taking on a tiling project, and I'll never forget, we were headed to Home Depot, and we got a call from our caseworker, and I like about died, and I'm like, oh, this is it, she never calls us, this is it. And sure enough, it was, um, there was a birth mother and birth father that wanted to meet us the following week. She had seven weeks left of her pregnancy and out of 10 profiles, they only wanted to meet us. And so, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. It was very cool. And I felt like when we were driving, um, to meet them with our caseworker that, we, and we were only an hour away that we were going on a job interview. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was really nerve wracking, and we had breakfast, and it was just this amazing meeting. And they asked us some amazing questions, really for a young couple who knew that they could not parent. Like I was floored and they just, I still like, sorry, it's so emotional. I love it though. Like this is real. Like, it's just so cool. Like what they wanted for him was to play sports and just go to college and go to school and like things that I think it's so easy to take for granted you know, um, like my parents just did that as an automatic for us Mm -hmm. and for, and for them to have that request felt so simple. And I'm like, oh my God, but, but that's it. Like, and so the following week we, um, we, we got the final official, um, call that they did want us to parent. So the weeks went by really slow, (laughs) really slow. (laughs) Not going to lie. They were probably the longest. Um, at this point, it was five weeks left. Um, and Parker's birth mother and I texted almost daily. Um, and a part of me was, is she going to change her mind? You know, it was always in the back of my head. It's always a possibility, right? But I kept my faith strong. Um, we talked to them about Parker's name. They loved Parker's name. Um, and so we called him Parker the whole time that we were talking and they were just, it was just really smooth, but the, the feeling was always there. Um, and then of course, um, the night, the night that he was born, his birth father texted, and he said that she was going into labor and I'll never forget where I was. I was sitting on the front stoop of our house and my husband was raking like it was spring cleaning time. He was born April 22nd. He was actually born on Good Friday and we took him home Easter Sunday. And um, I'm like, oh my God, babe, it's on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> and here's a kind of a mind blowing um detail for you and everyone listening, Parker was born at the same hospital that I was born.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah.
1: It was pretty crazy. Yeah.
0: Also, can we talk about the fact that he looks like you like a lot? (laughs) I'm sure he looks like his birth family so much, but like, what a cool thing that you guys can all share some of those attributes, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, his birth mother actually, she and I have some, um, similar features, Um, my husband actually gets it more than I do, which is funny, but, um, that she and I look similar, but, um, but yeah, we get that a lot. People are kind of mind blown when they find out he's adopted.
0: (laughs) I love that. And okay. So you guys have an open adoption, correct? Yeah. Yeah. What is that like? So like, first of all, I want to know what, like, was it meeting them that opened you up to this or did you always know you wanted an open adoption? What has it been like? Like all the questions there. So we
1: always knew that we wanted to have an open adoption, um, actually because, um, just my husband being adopted by his stepdad and he just felt like it was really important. And that's one of the other reasons when we, when we talked to them about why they chose us, um, they said, because, that we wanted to have an open adoption and we always wanted to stay connected. And for us, you know, it's it's not like a lifetime movie that you see where birth parents go and steal their kids from the house, like the, right. way weird stuff that's presented on TV. It is also not helpful, like super not helpful. No, Oh my God, no. And somebody said that once to us, they're like, oh, is he going to know? And we're like, "Yep, yeah, yes, he, he really is. I promise you there is so much research done on the psychology behind a child, knowing that they're adopted. And at the end of the day, it's part of his story. And at the end of the day, if he wants to have any sort of relationship with them, we would support it. Um, and the the our particular um, arrangements were um, meetings every six months, um, so twice a year until he was six. And um, we did do that. He was born in April and we had our first meeting in August, and that was that was hard that was really hard. It was the first time. I mean, we texted a lot after he was born, um, but August was really, really hard. And I think too, because I'll never forget having this conversation in the hospital. Um, I'm just going to call her A with A and like explaining to her that she did something for me that I would never be able to do. And I felt this connection and you know, in your mind, and I have now a big enough community where I realized that so many people have different types of relationships with their birth parents. And, you know, we were open to having her come to his birthday parties. And it, it didn't work out that way. But I just, I think because she fulfilled a part of my life that I, he was the missing piece. And she gave me that piece. Um, that August was so She missed him and of course she loves him. And it just, it kind of brought me back to April when we left the hospital with him and we parted ways at an elevator and it was sad. It was really sad. It's very, you know, they were giving us something that we had been missing, but yet in a way we felt like we were taking something from them, if that makes sense. Um, So it was really, um, really emotional. And I think it was so soon after that the emotions started flowing back in, but then we saw um, a, in December and we exchanged Christmas gifts and that was like beautiful and fine. And, um, and so we did lose connection for a little bit in there. Um, and we have um, now a Facebook group, a private group. Um, for me and A and J, his birth father. And it's really been great to be able to have pictures and connect. And um, and now we've moved further away too, which made um, getting together a little bit trickier. Um, but there's, you know, I think there's a natural ebb and flow of life where you know, it's hard to see certain things like when Parker lost his first tooth and he's playing his first T-ball game, you know, as a birth father, those things were really hard for him to see. Um, Not because he wasn't happy, but because, you know, that's his son. And, but, but it like I said, it goes in ebbs and flows. And now, like when I share pictures, they love seeing him happy and they're proud of his schoolwork and they're proud of who he's becoming. And, that's what they wanted. You know, that's what they asked us for as adoptive parents.
0: Gosh, it's just like full circle. Like, it's really cool that it's, I mean, I think that, you know, there's a fear there. And I know that in some states, adoption agreements are legally binding and in some states they're not. Um, The state I live in Arkansas just passed a law making them legally binding like 2021. Um, So I know that as a, birth family, like you're putting so much faith in kind of strangers, you know, and to uphold something and to include you when they don't have to in the end. And, um, I just love hearing stories where, where that is honored, you know, and, and that part of the story is, I don't know, like held in esteem and not swept under the rug. And unfortunately that happens way too much,
1: you know? Yeah, it does. And I've heard a lot of stories and, um, like I said, my husband and I were, were open. We celebrate his gotcha day. We, we closed or we finalized his adoption six months after he was born, which was, that's pretty average. Um, and then it was, you know, it was like a celebration day when he could take our last name. And so we celebrate that gotcha day and we always show Parker pictures. And I think by, um, having his story not in the forefront daily, but so that he doesn't forget. um, You know, he sees pictures of them as well that we have. There's a picture of um, myself and A, the first time that we saw each other in August after um, he was born and she's holding him and we're sitting together and our, our, um, oh my gosh, agency Every summer, sadly, last summer and this summer were canceled, but they have an annual picnic, which is beautiful because they, every family that's ever adopted through them gets to meet in Vermont for a picnic and the birth parents get to come as well. And so we did do that. Parker had just turned two and we were able to go and pick her up and meet and just be with all adoptive families and birth parents. And, you know, she was able to spend time with Parker and she brought him a gift and he still has one of his remote control cars that she gave him. It's very taped up and broken, (laughs) but I refuse to give it away because it's, it's something that she gave to him. And I just, for him, I feel like it's a really special memory that I don't want to let go of.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes complete sense, and I just I love that. Also, shout out the name of your adoption agency again because it sounds like they need some like that. That sounds like they're doing a lot of good stuff, you know. Oh, it's uh, Friends and Adoption, okay. and it's out of Vermont. Okay, I'll be sure and tag them in the show notes as well. well thank um, you. So, one thing I wanted to note, and it was at the beginning of when you were talking about your journey, is that the first person who suggested adoption to you was your mom, and I. I love that because I think that so many adoptive moms, we don't have as much family support, um, especially not at the forefront. And, you know, my, my family is incredibly supportive, but I've talked to so many women who have so have questions, you know, like people are like, well, why would you want to, you know, why would you want someone else's kid or like just kind of rude questions. But I love the fact that your mom said it and she said it so plainly, like, obviously Rebecca, you can adopt (laughs) like, and like, it was almost like her making a declaration of like, that's the exact same thing, which is so cool. Um, have they always been that, you know, that incredibly supportive?
1: They, they, yes, they are. And I, I think what's awesome is, and my husband's parents as well, just, they like to ask questions and they like to learn. And I mean, I would love for Parker's birth parents to meet them all one day. I, I don't know if it would ever happen, but um, I, I think the learning is just as important. Um, and I remember way back even looking for some special books for them. I didn't really come across any in particular, but I feel like, um, if, and I would love to know actually if anybody has any, um, just to understand like the phases of adoption and, um, you know, any information for anybody that's never experienced it, how to talk about it, um, Just like um, Parker's second grade teacher, she had asked one time, oh, do you want to come in and talk to the class about adoption? Because Parker brought it up at school one day and she didn't really know how to talk about it or how to present it to the kids. And um, I said, I am totally fine with that, but Parker has to be on board. And little Mr. Humble (laughs) did not want me in school. So he's too cool for that, mom. I, clearly I'm not cool enough for
0: him. <laughs> so I had a similar, I mean, we're very open about adoption in our family. We celebrate it. You know, it's, it's like something that's just a regular conversation, which is, you know, sounds like it is for you guys too. So I have to warn every one of my son's teachers, like just so you know, he will probably say something and the other kids are going to be like, what? Like, it's just going to be a drive-by. Like, he's not going to understand that they don't know what he's talking about. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so they've all had to be like prepped for answering random questions from children about like birth mommy. What? (laughs) Um, okay. Something else I wanted to note about your journey is that you, um, you know, I'm not from the East coast, but from what I understand, I know that Connecticut is a little more affluent than like some people in, you know, the city, correct?
1: Yeah. So when we adopted him, we were actually still living, um, upstate New York Okay. And um, but yeah, this area of Connecticut is, and I, like I don't know, and I feel like I'm still a newbie, so I'm not sure that if people are just more, um, just kind of, um, what do I want to say, like not as open about talking about it, or just more conserve conservative with feelings. Um, I think I was. When we lived upstate, I had a bigger circle. So I felt like it was talked about a ton. Mm -hmm. And my goal is to really bring it to the forefront that it is this beautiful, beautiful journey. And it's okay to be adopted, be an adopted parent. Um, So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and I mean, and the reason I asked that is because I just think it's really cool that you kind of laid aside your, your income and like your affluence, if you want to call it that to support people who, you know, are just across state lines, who are maybe wanting to adopt, but struggling. And I just, I love that aspect of your story. I think it's really cool that you, uh, you know, you very easily could live in your very comfortable bubble and you're choosing to not, um, what were some of the pieces that came together for you to make that decision?
1: Um, you know, I, part of it was that, um, around the time. So that was like the fall of 2018. There was actually a a few pieces that came together for me. Um, we had started, okay, I keep getting ahead of myself. That was (laughs) Oh my gosh. Parker was in second grade. So probably the tail end of kindergarten. Um, we, we felt like something was going on with him behavior, behavior, a leak. Got it. <laughs> we weren't sure what, um, and we had started talking and kind of figuring things out, um, at the same time that we were moving and then the things seemed to, you know, be okay. Um, with his behaviors. And um, I was working a lot, like a lot. And Parker was even part of my job some days. I mean, he was, I was selling direct to consumers and wholesaling my line. And so this little guy was helping pack orders on weekends and evenings and while it was fun for him I'm like but this isn't really fun this is becoming a chore and so I had this opportunity when we first moved to Connecticut where I was um, licensed by another stationary company and it was a really amazing relationship and I felt like some of the pressure would be taken off um, and in some aspects, it made life easy for me as a business owner, easier, I should say. But when I'm passionate about something, I'm passionate about something. And I couldn't let go of certain things and wanting to have control of certain things, if you will. And I, as that was going on, some of Parker's behaviors were coming, becoming much more obvious. And I felt like, wow, I... I went through all of this to have a child and I feel like I am not wholly there for him as I need to be and want to be really. Um, I felt like I was very much tied to my work um, instead of being tied to being a mom, um, wanting to you know, volunteer at school and wanting to be at every sports. And I was doing that, but at the expense of my own health in some cases. And I found that, um, I was working for, like I said, something that felt so minute and I loved it. I'm a creative. Um, and so that fall things were just shifting with markets and work anyway. And so, um, my partnership ended and so my husband and I said what what should we do now like what do we bring this back in house and take it from here do we build bigger do we get investors and I was like you know what I I, I've done it it's been 13 years like it's been amazing and I've made a great income and I've had a lot of fun and I've been featured in magazines and I've done all these things. But, but at the end of the day, to me, that's not fulfilling. Mm. It's like this glimmer of stardom, if you will, but to me like serving others and, and feeling fulfilled from the heart because I'm helping somebody else is what fuels my fire. And so Around the same time, this all was happening. Around the same time, my son's behaviors were starting. We were trying to figure this out. I was deciding to retire my business. Um, I had a biopsy done for breast cancer, which was benign. And I was like, "Holy cow! I just I need to take a step back at the moment and really figure out what I want to do." And my husband was like, "Well, why don't you just take some time? Like, take some." time off, you know, close out your books. And I'm like, no, no, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to (laughs) (laughs) relax. I'm ready. Let's go.
0: I feel that so
1: much. We started blogging again and I started my wellness business and I focused on myself and being a mom and being a wife and not living to work, but working to live. And the whole mind shift focus has been mind blowing. And it is really amazing that like when I started taking care of myself and could be the person that felt good inside from the inside out, um, I've been able to do so much. And I always said like, I'll figure out, you know, when your brain, when you're mentally in such a great spot, you can figure out the rest, like truly you figure out the financial part. You figure out how it's all going to work because you're in such a better place emotionally. And so that's when it all kind of came full circle. It just was this collision of a lot of different things happening at once. And it just kind of exploded. And that's where I'm at now. And, and now I get to take care of Parker the way I always wanted to and take time off of work And be at his therapy sessions and meet with his doctors and just not feel guilty about it ever.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean, I just see this theme across your whole story of being like God's perfect timing, you know, even with like him, like if you had missed your aha moment of like, oh, we're adopting now, like what you talked about, like if you had missed that by a month, either way, you wouldn't have him, you know, or like, Mm -hmm this business thing, like for everything to come together for God to just be like, this is what you're doing now. Like, I just, I think that that's so cool. And I love those stories where it's like, it wasn't a grueling decision. It was just kind of like everything came together and made sense all of a sudden, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it can be really, I am I have such strong faith, but it doesn't mean it challenge, it doesn't challenge me at times and to let go of something I was so familiar with for 13 years and to be so familiar with that part of my life and just kind of put it away and close that chapter and move on. It was, it took a lot. It took a lot. It was like, you know, unfamiliar territory for me and starting over. And I mean, I'll be 47. It was not that long ago where most people were like I'm not going to start over now. But I'm like whatever. Age is just a number. I don't feel old. I've got a life to live. There's no way.
0: Like you, do, you there's no way you're 47.
1: Oh, in June. Yeah, thank you. Thank you wow. so much. I'm telling you, this is what happens. You drink a lot of water and you take care of yourself. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Drink a lot of water, take
0: care of yourself, really not that easy.
1: it's uh it takes work, friends, I promise, but it's so worth it. Oh, my gosh, it's so worth it.
0: Isn't that funny that consuming water like literally drinking more feels like the most oppressive mm-hmm. thing Sometimes you're like, oh, I don't want to yeah. drink
1: more water <laughs> I, I have a daily challenge, yes. yes. It's really quite amusing.
0: <laughs> Man, that gallon feels like it's a lot every day, but yeah, working on it. Um, okay. Are you cool with getting into some of these closing questions? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. So uh, what do you wish you had known at the very beginning of this journey? So
1: I can honestly say that I wish I had really understood how beautiful of a journey it would have been. Hiccup or not, we had a very smooth adoption and I've heard, you know, very sad stories. Um, Not every adoption, you know, goes very smoothly. Ours did and it continues to, but it is such this amazing thing. I had a fear of not feeling connected to Parker. And I know that a lot of, you know, couples in waiting might feel that way, but it's not, it is so beautiful. And I wish I hadn't felt as anxious as I did about that. Like the wondering piece, I wish somebody had just said to me, you know, it's so beautiful. Just wait, you know, hold on for the ride. Um, because it's been every bit of that.
0: Yeah. That's literally my answer to whenever. So I, my husband interviewed me for this podcast several years ago, but that was my answer is just, I wish I'd managed my expectations better because I think that I was the opposite. I had these expectations that bonding would be easy and that this passion for adoption would transfer into in, you know, intense love. And it's like, when it didn't, I was crushed. And I just felt like when, when you just take those expectations off of adoptive mom's shoulders and just say, just take it as it comes and live your journey as it comes. And that can be so hard to hear, but man, I think that kind of like success kind of rides on that. You know, we, we get in our own way when we have different, when we have so many expectations put on a
1: very wild ride of adoption. Yeah, for sure. And I think Um, For anybody listening that is considering the journey or currently going through it, my best piece of unsolicited advice would be just to focus on the circumstances that you can control as you're waiting, as you're going through it. Because when you have a baby in your arms, there's nothing like that feeling and um, it's just beautiful.
0: Love it. Um, Okay. What is something you wish you had done differently or is it that, is it just, I wish I'd had different or less sex, fewer expectations or something else?
1: I would say that, but also um, when I thought back about our waiting in the very beginning, we were, we were excited and you want to be selected like immediately and you think it's going to happen very quickly And it might, Um, and so we were afraid to live life to the fullest. Now, granted, we were, um, we were like living very frugally. We canceled cable. We, we didn't eat out much because like I said, it was expensive, but even going on a day trip or an overnight trip, we're like, Ooh, but what if they call while we're away? what if, you know, all the what ifs, like, oh, if they can't get us. And it were were these silly stories that our caseworker had our cell phone. We could have even left the number of wherever we were going. Like, you know, it just was silly. And we finally realized, like, live our lives. It will happen when it's meant to happen. It's God's timing and not ours. And we couldn't force it. And so, just live our lives just know our baby's coming and it just relaxed us in a way um and I'll never forget we used to just sit and watch Lost. Like this is how long ago it feels now. Like the final season of Lost was on and we literally on the weekends would watch episode after episode of Lost and make nachos and drink wine. And now when we make nachos with Parker, we're always like, Parker, when we were waiting for you, we would sit and eat nachos and watch this show called Lost Um, because it was like our weekend thing. We weren't going up to dinner much so.
0: Was our thing. <laughs> I love that so much. Like, what a cool! And like, when he's old enough, maybe you can binge it with him. You know, like yeah. I don't know. So cool. Okay, so what is? How does your pri- tribe best support you through your adoption journey, and even into now? What's your favorite way?
1: I think um, my, so. Friends that have met us and friends love to hear about the adoption, our adoption journey. Um, I have this amazing community of people who, maybe I'm the only person they know that's adopted, but when I do something to help raise money for grants for adoption, they are on board. They are, how can I help? What can I donate? Where's the link? And they're doing it on behalf of me, which is like brings tears to my eyes because There's a lot of things that people could donate for, but now through me, they're reaching other adoptive families that, so it's, it is affecting me because I went through it, but like in the moment we're done and that time has passed, but there are so many people that were in our shoes right now. And so when people, you know, support my business or support my friends not-for-profit it is like the beautiful it's just the most beautiful thing and so having that support is incredible but also having people connect me with other people in the community who know somebody that's adopted and are super excited for my support group to to come about
0: love that. And when we wrap up, I'm definitely going to have you share about how people can get connected with that. But I do have one more question. If you could sum it all up, what is the best piece of advice or encouragement, um, that you would hand to an adoptive mom kind of at the beginning of this journey, maybe even like deciding whether or not adoption is for her.
1: Um, pray, Mm -hmm. pray, pray, (laughs) have faith, um, and there's a beautiful book out there. It's called our deacon gave it to us, and it's called Um While We Wait. And he wrote a a little ditty to us in there that's very private. Um, read a book. Um, you will know that this journey is meant for you if you feel even an ounce of it in your heart. Mm. Um, I just You'll get this feeling and you'll want to do it. And it just brings a light to an end of what for us was an otherwise very dark, dark tunnel. Um, And just, just give yourself grace through the process. Know that there's going to be some hard times and know that there's going to be some tears, but know that it is so worth it in the end, like when you're holding your baby and you get to see your baby grow up. And my son pitched last weekend. And I think about like the first time I held him to now he's standing on a baseball mound pitching, you know, it's good. It's yeah. good guys.
0: Oh, I love it's that sad. so much. You make <laughs> me cry. Gosh. <laughs> okay. So I, before we go, just share
1: with us where we can
0: follow you and also how we can get involved in your um, in your fundraising and nonprofit and all the things you do for Adoptive Moms.
1: Oh, sure. So um, you can follow me at um, Rebecca J. Ashby on Instagram. Um, the support group, I am in process of getting set up right now. Um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm working my way through. I ultimately, it can be an online spot, but locally in and around Fairfield County, Connecticut, it will be, um, in-person meetups, especially now that I feel like things are getting better to be able to have larger meetups. Um, currently through the end of this week, um, I have a Mother's Day campaign going on, um, helpusadopt.org, but, my friend Becky, that's my friend Becky's foundation or not for profit. Sorry. You can donate there anytime, um, right through her website. She's amazing. And she gets requests for millions of dollars every year. And, you know, she can only fulfill as much as she can get donation wise, but she's got a beautiful heart and I just love, love helping that. So That's where I monthly donate money to, Um, and then I help with. She's got different events throughout the year, silent auctions, and right now there's a Mother's Day campaign going on as well. Okay,
0: awesome! I'm I'm so excited. Um, then I got to talk to you. I just like, this was such a fun interview. I love your heart for adoptive moms yeah. and just for adoption in general. And you're just such a, I don't know, like I said, you're just such a joy to follow along with. So, uh, thank you so much for joining me. And for those of you who are not a part of my Patreon community, you should go to the slash I'm sorry, the adoptive slash Patreon and join now, because I'm about to ask Rebecca some fun questions that are only going to be up there, but until then thank you so much, Rebecca. And um, yeah, until next time, man. Thank
1: you so much for having me.
0: This was really awesome. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together, and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out Show All right, Rebecca, are you ready for Yes. Thanks for joining us. This is my favorite part. I love this. Okay. <laughs> What are yours and your husband's celebrity crushes? Oh my gosh.